Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Welcome to Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Rod Downing from Vancouver, Canada. This is the series Climate Brewing, where we interview the world-class scientists and other experts who gave presentations as part of the Community of Christ North American Zoom series, All of Creation from Crises to Transformation. Today's topic, the circular economy, is an alternative to our current economic model which is a linear create, use, discard dynamic that results in ravaged mountains, abuse of child labor, abandoned oil wells, and mountains of trash. It considers resources to be endless, waste to be of no consequence, and the implications for nature to be negligible. Thus, today's guest, as part of the diverse voices we need to hear from, is from the industry side of this massive issue. Lugano Kapemba is from London, United Kingdom, and is currently CEO of LoopCycle. He will share his vision of this alternative model, the circular economy. Please note, there will be a separate podcast on the related economic topic of consumerism. Before proceeding with his introduction, a word of transparency. I met Lugano through a niece who lives in the UK. They've been together for years now. But as I came to understand what he did, I realized the world-class significance to his work, and what, and that is why I invited him. So I'll briefly share two aspects of his background and what he brings today. Lugano has spent over 20 years grappling with environmental issues. His biggest project was as energy and environmental lead for the five billion, that's with a B, billion dollar Canary Wharf project in London, UK, which basically created a 100,000 person city within the city of London. The equal significance is that many environmental groups have developed a focus on cities. Why? Well, where do most people live? In cities. Most industry? In cities. It's also where politicians are closest. It can still be gnarly, but can be nimble and very potent. And Lou has faced both ends, envisioning what can be given a new city, but also the complex dynamics of dealings with an old established city like London. So I'd love to sit at Lou's feet and hear all his insights. Today, we'll simply get a glimpse. The second aspect is the main one. Lugano then took those insights from his previous years and co-founded LoopCycle, of which he is now CEO. 
its purpose, in essence, is to create the cyclical economy. I am thrilled at this. In essence, today, we have a front row seat at the cutting edge of a brand new mode of dynamics. In the big picture, there is no cyclical economy yet. Lou is helping to create it right now. So I am greatly anticipating his sharing of the insights and struggles of helping create such a new, better mode of economic dynamics. To me, this is a rare treat to be at this hinge point, listening to one of the key people determined to create this fundamental change in our economics. So a very genuine thank you, Lugano, for taking this time to share with us today. Hello, Rod, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, and uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that uh, you were able to find the time uh, to share with us. Now, I was quite curious uh, in thinking about this, wondering before we get into the real uh, uh, details of this issue, what were the influences that made you to decide to study environmental issues in the first place? Oh, it's a good question. Um, going back now uh, many, many years, um, environmental science was actually something very new um, when, I, when I went to study at university. Um, I became interested in environmental issues as part of actually biology modules, where um, at the time, environmental science, environmental issues were either included in biology or included in geography, but not really as standalone um, degree subjects. And I was uh, at the university I, I studied my undergrad, which was uh, Leeds. Um, I would think I was one of the, we were one of the first groups um, studying environmental science as a degree because there, you know, there weren't really many uh, degree courses focused on the subjects, you know, exclusively. So um, I studied it thinking, um, and I, play, I, I hedged my bets as well on the future. I studied it thinking that this is going to be something that's going to be really significant in the future. I, um, I was concerned about environmental issues. I always have been. But I just felt like um, this could be quite useful. And uh, I guess I guess I was proved right in the long term, which, you know, is, is good in one way, but but bad in another. So uh, <laughs> so it's, um, you know, so that's kind of that's kind of my my, my history studying the subject. Great. Um, uh, some of that sort of background motivation, would that be because uh, you love the outdoors or, or was it more just you saw the impending problems that were coming up? Um, you know, my interest has always been in, I'm fascinated by systems. Um, and that's always been something that um, interests me, systems the different actors and levers that are within a system that make it work. Um, whether it's, you know, whether it's environmental, whether it's mechanical, I've always been very, very interested in, in how things work at a more systemic level. And environmental science and sustainability, climate change, whatever you want to call it these, these days, it is all about a system and how a system works and how individual levers um, 
either work together or against each other to drive change in that system. So environmental science and learning about climate change, I think the very first time I learned about it, it was about how the weather changes um, are driven by rising sea levels. And that kind of connection that you would never grasp straight away, actually really kind of in terms of a system and how it all is connected uh, actually fascinated me, and that and that is where my interest initially stemmed for it. If stemmed from, it is more of a systemic um, process that kind of uh, really interests me. Uh, well, that's that's uh, that's interesting. It sounds like you're you're ready made for this stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, in, anyway, thanks for sharing that. Now, uh, in our climate series. Um, we've made the distinction between individual actions we can take and the huge systemic or structural issues. And in particular, we identified the two systemic issues, the economic system, which is what we're dealing with today. And as well, there is the political structures and issues. I already mentioned that our current economic one is a create make discard linear system where each stage takes energy producing CO2 and then we discard whatever it is and start all over. And thus, uh, you know, we end up where we are today with this buildup of all these greenhouse gases. So can you describe uh, this alternative, specifically the circular economy um, maybe using uh, an example or whatever, just give us a sense of, of uh, the difference here. Right. So at the most basic level, um, a circular economy is one where um, absolutely nothing is wasted and the system is, in essence, regenerative. So um, the products that come out of different processes within that system are then used directly um, to fuel new systems and new processes. And that could either be going right back to the very beginning of your supply chain or actually fueling other supply chains. But essentially, the losses or the waste products that are generated from these various processes are actually eliminated. So, so, so I guess to sum it up in one word, um, it is an economy where nothing actually is wasted and everything has a value. Um, and, and I think that's probably the most basic, the, the most basic way you can kind of describe it, I think. Right. It, 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 it's, <laughs> you know, it, it, in, in my small world, I, I sort of, it, it sounds uh, somewhat like recycling, except, you know, gone big, you know, big time and, 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 and hopefully global, uh, uh, is there a, a, a distinction you would make uh, between, you know, my sort of concept of just putting my recycling stuff out every week and, and what you're dealing with? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it, it's funny because when we first talk about a circular economy, the first thing people talk about is waste um, and what to do with waste. However, if you think about a circular economy, 
it is if we go back to that idea of a system and systemic thinking a circular economy begins the moment something is required to create something so it actually goes right back up the value chain because a circular economy is how is 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 where you consider what you're designing how you're producing it how it's being used and if you're managing all of these parts then actually what comes out at the end is something that can and that actually isn't waste and um, what it is is something that can be uh, fuel either to go straight back into that supply chain into that chain or straight into something brand new i think when we talk about recycling recycling is almost if you think about it it's almost too late um recycling is when you have a problem when the waste is at the you you have a product and you need to do something with it at the end and so i think the key distinction is that when we talk about the circular economy it affects every single point in the supply chain the value chain of a product from the moment it's the, the moment it's conceived in terms of its design you're thinking about how these materials how all of these ingredients are going to be used put together and then even deconstructed so they can be used again and so i think that's probably the key distinction to make here great yeah no that, that's that's good uh, that gets me out of <laughs> out of my, my, my little world of uh, um, i mean important but uh, recycling but but still this is much bigger um, now in our um, actual uh, session uh, that took place in June and and for any of the listeners um, uh, there should be a link uh, but you can go to our website and listen to uh, Lugano's June uh, presentation which was which was fabulous um, but during that presentation and 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 this is sort of at the other end if recycling I haven't quite gotten right then at the beginning end, someone mentioned the idea of, well, um, where does the notion of, uh, you know, the environment has its three R's uh, and the first one is reduce. So how does that, can you briefly just sh share for perspective where that sort of sits in, in all of this? Um, re yeah, reduction for me is the ultimate action, you know, um, we are by nature, you know, you talked very much about kind of take make waste society, this linear society that we live in where um, we just assume we if we want more, we will just use more. Um, ultimately, we will use and um, we will we will we will require less in terms of energy in terms of space and um, in terms of uh, waste management processes if we actually just reduce how much we use in the first place and um, i think when we talk about reduce there is all uh, when we um, when we bring in that element of the circular economy what also must be um, included in that is the quality of what you're using as well so if you're reducing but also you are using higher quality materials that can be, as you mentioned before, recycled more than once and, and, and continuously um, reused 
to create new products, then actually that's when you really start to get to the, that's when you really start to tackle the problem at a fundamental level. So I believe reduce is, is always going to be, you know, if you don't use it in the first place, you're almost avoiding a problem. Um, but that also needs to be considered in light of what you actually use, the residual amount that you have to use and the quality of that material um, and the impact that that material has uh, in terms of what went into it to produce it, but also what comes out at the end as a, a inverted commas waste product. Right. Uh, great. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that clarification. So let's let's then get in uh, to some of uh, those insights. As I mentioned, you you spent uh, 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 so, some of your years with this massive Canary Wharf project. Um, uh, I mean, you didn't design <laughs> you didn't design the project, but you were the <laughs> environmental lead. Uh, that would be an, another interesting topic. If you could have designed it, what would you have designed? But we're not going there today. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, you were the environmental lead in this massive project. And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you could share the lessons that you learned uh, from Canary Wharf um, that then uh, you later uh, either are bringing or hope to bring uh, into loop cycle to continue or making make this uh, a, a more circular economy. Yeah, sure. Um, God, there was the, there were many things, many <laughs> things learned. So I think I think if I could, and it's a great question about you know what I'd do differently. I think that's a that's another podcast in itself. I think <laughs> um, you know I think so. I think the, 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 if I could distill it down into maybe. Uh, two or three key points. I think the first was um, you have uh, a lot of companies uh, operating in one space using shared resources, shared systems. Um, and as the estate landlord, you have to bring all of that together um, and make sure that um, all of these actions can, can happen in one place. And a big part of that, when we first started grappling with this idea of, you know, um, what does a really sustainable estate look like? What does what does waste management practice, best practice look like? Um, we had to start getting people using common data. Um, people measure different things in different ways and companies are measuring different things in different ways. So how can you start to standardize um, how people are looking at things and how they're measuring them. If you can do that, then you can start benchmarking and then you can start getting people. But when I say people, I mean companies speaking a common language around a common set of metrics. Um, and that actually is really a really good starting point to, to, to start improving performance. So for me, um, it goes back to that old saying, you can't manage what you don't properly measure. I think I would add to that, you, you can't properly manage what you can't measure consistently and evenly. Um, so I think, you know, for me, the, the, the need to get everybody on a level playing field with regards to the information and the data and how they analyze that is, is, was key. Um, secondly, and this is to be totally honest, it's a cliche term, but I think it's just as real now as it is for pretty much any time you're going to hear it during COP26 is collaboration. 
um, you have companies that um, traditionally would not interact with, with each other um, now talking about sustainability issues, about energy issues, about waste management. And that's a, that was a huge step forward. So being able to create a space, a safe space where companies can discuss their problems, discuss their challenges and realize that the challenges are actually quite common and then start to collaborate to solve those challenges, um, I think was a real achievement for, for an estate of such a size. Um, and I would say uh, probably the third thing I would add is um, an openness about where you are in your journey. Um, I believe we were keen to tell the whole story. Um, you know, what you have in this era at the moment is, you know, everybody right down to the individual level on social media, everyone wants to present their best face. Um, you know, people often don't, the real learning comes from uh, what hasn't worked and what could be improved. And I think we committed to a journey where we would actually be open and honest about where we were in the process and what the challenges were for us as a business. And I think any business that can do that, um, that builds integrity, that builds trust, and actually it builds it builds a basis from which you can actually improve on um, and, and communicate that journey. And I think those probably were the key things, you know, that I learned working in that estate, in that environment over, over my time there. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yes, that, that's, that's interesting to uh, think of, um, you, you sort of, you sort of alluded to that, that uh, failure, and, you, you know, the, the will, first of all, the willingness to try, um, but, but wherein you can create an environment where failure isn't seen as something awful, but simply seen as a lesson. Um, uh, I, I mean, that sounds like, a, yes, definitely a, a, a wonderfully collaborative um, um, situation. Um, I, I wonder if you could just expand on that a little, maybe using an, it just try and uh, uh, allow me to get in my head, uh, you know, a bit of an example uh, of all the uh, partners that would be involved in, uh, you know, whether it's a plastic bottle or a stove or, a, you know, um, a, a heating element or, or, or something or else. Um, um uh, in 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 your session i remember you had this this uh diagram with with my gosh i couldn't believe all the players um now we have i think with this pandemic a little better sense of uh quote this supply chain management this has become you know a, a, a word that was never used is now mainstream. Everyone knows about supply chains and all the issues, or, you know, we recognize uh, how they can get bottlenecked and, and there's all kinds of different players in that. Um, so I was wondering if you could just give some 
some example of at least some of the players when you're talking about this collaboration um, that that you had to deal with. Um, uh, if you know, sometimes I can never think of a good example. So if you can't, that's fine. But if you can, um, maybe you could just briefly share that. Sure. Um, I would say, so for example, um, when you are managing an estate, um, there are a number of service providers. Um, and in terms of when we talk about collaboration, if you think about it, you know, you, you also touched on the point um, about openness and transparency and where you are in the journey. Um, everybody in that supply chain is on a journey. Uh, nobody's got it entirely figured out. Uh, and any company that tells you that they have um, is greenwashing or, you know, <laughs> we wouldn't be in this problem if, if that was the case. Um, and so for me, it is about, you know, we had, uh, for example, service providers who specialize in delivering certain services, be it uh, estate cleaning, um, be it uh, waste management. All of these companies were also learning how to do things better, deliver better service to their, um, to their clients, of which we were one. And a big part of that is sustainability performance, helping us to improve. So there was a collaborative dynamic, um, and I would say it was, a it was challenging and collaborative, but I mean that in, a, in the most positive way, with the service providers, because the service providers have the advantage of bringing in best practice um, and ideas that they have from outside of Canary Wharf, outside of our business, they could bring that in and actually use, and we could, you know, almost cross-fertilize those ideas and see what could work on our estate. So there was that kind of collaborative, informative, and challenging dynamic between ourselves and the service provider. Um, I would also say the supplier of equipment, equipment, products, um, as an estate, um, the benefit that that um, that we had as an estate is that it was a closed private estate. So there was more control. For example, the city of London, traffic goes in and out and it's pretty much uncontrolled. Whereas um, this, you know, you're working in this estate where actually it's private. It can be locked down in a second. And what that means is that you have greater control over what comes in as well as what goes out. So how can you use that as a lever to start opening a dialogue with those companies that are providing products onto your estate. And what I mean by that is, for example, if you're delivering um, tons of IT equipment, um, hundreds or thousands of kilos of IT equipment, um, how can you make sure that actually it's delivered in less packaging? Um, or how can you make sure that actually some of these products that come onto the estate that will be waste products actually are taken away? Um, once they're no longer needed? How can you be involved in that process? These are things that, to be totally honest, we explored, but you can't always deliver um, at the pace that you want to deliver them in. Um, we recognize the potential of the estate to actually have this kind of impact, but it wasn't something that really could have been done um, 
in a short space of time because it's a culture change as much as it is a process change as well. So you've got this kind of supplies of the goods and products, you've got the supplies of the services. Um, and then of course you have the actual people who are on the estate. Um, and I talk about, when I say that, I refer to the companies themselves who you build a long-term relationship with. And that relationship is built on trust as well, because a lot of the services that they deploy are actually commissioned by yourself centrally, especially things like waste management. Um, and then at the most fundamental level, there are the people who are on the estate. And those people um, were quite, they were at the forefront, a lot of the sustain, the development of the sustainability policy on the estate, because we realized how engaged they were. Um, and we realized how engaged they were when we were bold enough to start putting messages out there. I think whenever you are saying, you know, this is what we stand for. This is where we want to go. There is always that kind of apprehension about how it will be received. But I think there was a real pleasant surprise when you realize actually the people who come here are really engaged in what you're trying to do. And not only are they engaged in terms of they're willing to listen, but actually they proposed ideas. They took part in questionnaires um, in a World Environment Day they um, participated in a large survey about things that we should be tackling on the estate. So, you know, so they are really the, the, as you mentioned before, the individual level, they were catalysts for that change. And they validated a lot of the things that we were doing to say, actually, this is relevant. So I think they are kind of the ultimate stakeholder um, they were the ultimate stakeholder on the estate. So there's all these kind of different levels um, and each one, you need to interact with them in a different way. And the nature of the relationship is a little bit different. But I hope I've kind of summed up the key interactions that went on between all the different stakeholders. Great. Yes. Great. Thanks. Um, I, I wanted to then um, just take a look at your work with Loop Cycle itself, which and pardon me if I got this all wrong, um, <laughs> is, is, is an attempt to be able to take uh, a, 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 an, an individual item and track it through this circular or, or circularity um, uh, journey. Um, and I, I, I just think back to uh, a, an example of my own years ago, I remember we had this old stove and, um, you know, it stopped working. So we call, you know, you just called in this supplier. He came in and tinkered around and, and fixed it. And, and our stove was working again. Um, you, you know, you could just take an, a stovetop element, you could just yank it out, stick a new one in, and or whatever. Today, uh, it, it seems a lot of things are made to, uh, uh, you know, there is no stovetop element. They're, you know, they're nice, flashy, smooth surfaces and things like that. Um, if you, you know, if anything goes, 
basically the whole stove has to get replaced because it's 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 so integrated. Um, It raises a, 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 a couple of questions, and, and I'm, I'm curious uh, what your thinking is in regard to loop cycle itself. Um, in that situation, um, would you be advocating for going back to more modular-like systems? And then would you basically track that stove and okay, you know, in, in the year 2000 and whatever this this thing got this piece got replaced and in the year whatever so that you know that stove would keep circulating and just its pieces would would keep changing um is, is that part of the kind of the the cycle of loop cycle uh, am i getting that right at all um, yes, you 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 are um, uh, you are. That's 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 pretty much the essence of what we um, of what Loop Cycle is. I mean, we are a product traceability platform, and our you know the the basic starting point is that you know um, if you if something doesn't have uh, a lasting value or a lasting identity, then it some at some point part of it or all of it will be forgotten, and that is where waste comes into the equation. So what we allow for is manufacturers um, to trace products um, and, th and there's their circumstances. Um, you know, when we talk about consumerism, a manufacturer in many cases in, in a B2B, um, in a B2B value chain and B2B market, a manufacturer is going to want to sell a product as quickly as possible. And, uh, they and, will do it through. Sorry, uh, sorry B two B is is uh, business to business. Beg your pardon. Yes. Uh, yes. So, so manufacturers selling a product to another business is going to want to do so through a number of intermediaries who can distribute that product and make sure it reaches those customers uh, as quickly as possible. And then you realize that the manufacturer doesn't actually know who they've sold that product into because it's gone through this distribution network. So. There is pressure on manufacturers to recycle more. Um, they talk about the circular economy, but the question is, well, how do you know? Because you can't actually, you don't actually know where your products go. So how can you recover them? So there is that element, there is that, that opportunity that's unlocked for products at the end of their life to be recovered back by the manufacturer and um recycled refurbished whatever you want to call it but actually used again in some form but as you said there is this idea that modular production where a product can be tracked as a product but the individual subcomponents of that product can also have a unique identifier and therefore they can be stripped out replaced and what you build up through the platform is essentially a service history of how that product has been used, how that product has been cared for over its whole lifetime. And LoopCycle builds that as a log. And therefore, when that product is no longer needed by that particular operator of that product, if there is life in the product and they want to sell it as a second life good, it's exactly like the car industry. Um, you would be less likely to buy a car where you have no idea of the service history. 
because you don't know how it's been serviced, you don't know how it's been maintained, and instantly the value plummets because of that. And yet we expect quite valuable secondhand manufactured goods to just be for a another operator to just want to buy it without that service history. So these products that have been designed in a modular way where they could be opened up and passed or placed out actually have an advantage through a platform like LoopCycle because what it allows is for all of these changes, tweaks, adjustments over time to be tracked and traced. And then that gives assurance to the next owner of that product about how that product has been maintained over its life. Yes, uh, and uh, it's funny, I was just thinking of the car example as, as exactly what you know I would be, or, or when I go and buy, or if, if I went to buy a used car, that's exactly what I would want is, and uh, you know, give me give me the history of of what was uh, uh, this car has gone through, and and in fact, uh, just the other day on um, the radio, I heard of um, this had to do with consumer electronics computers. Um, I, I won't name the the company, but they also do refurbished versions, and. Uh, some investigative uh, work uh, went and asked some of the employees, would you ever buy any of those refurbished products? And they said, not in your life, because, you know, but all of that, and, and that's the problem, it's hidden, nobody knows. So yes, to, to, to be able to, and so, you know, that whole potential of, for instance, cell phones that, you know, people want always the latest, you know, cell phones and there are, you know, you can go up on the web and see these uh, like 20 foot mountains of used cell phones that people have discarded that would be perfectly usable. Um, but there's no, you know, there's no assurance of what they are. And so nobody wants to buy them and things like that. So I can see the real potential of this circular economy that, um, goes back to, you know, some of your key words, trust, you know, that, that to me is what was, boy, my ears really picked up on that. Um, if, if, if you can get a system of trust in place, that makes, that makes that world of difference where I would consider either that used car or, or I'd feel, yeah, uh, uh, satisfied um, that I'm getting what I'm, what what uh, they say I'm getting, or that's you know that cell phone I'd, I'd consider that. Um, whereas now, yes, people, whoa, you know, you have no idea. You're absolutely right, Rod. It's um, integrity um, is a real problem for manufactured uh, second life markets for manufactured goods. Um, COVID has thrown up a, um, unfortunately, many outlets, especially in the hospitality sector, um, had to close, which meant there was this abundance of um, valuable second life kit that wasn't actually that old in a number of places from commercial building premises to restaurants to hotels. Um, and what you found actually is that companies are paying to remove these products 
rather than actually selling them on as secondhand goods. And because of this lack of integrity, the manufacturer hears about a product that they have um, that's out there and it's a second life good, but they have no idea what's happened to it. They have no idea how it's been treated. So really there is this fear that um, if I sell you a product and that product explodes, um, you won't turn around and say, Lugano sold me a, a rubbish product. What you would say is I, I bought a product, it was manufactured by X and it didn't work after a week. So one of the things that Loop Cycle offers is an opportunity because it's a lasting touch point between the manufacturer and the operator. It's an opportunity for the manufacturer to actually take a more active role in the management of that product over its life. So if, if the parts that are replaced are manufacturer-assured parts, if the manufacturer conducts an industry standard servicing on that product every two years, and there's a log of all of this detail, the manufacturer then has more confidence in the second life potential of that good. And also you start to just build this integrity in the second life market because the way the product has been maintained is just to a higher standard. And that really is um, really is the, the kind of the place we want to take this and where the platform can actually really drive the onward value, the onward use of these products. Right, yes, uh, it, 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 exactly. So uh, uh, it, it's, it, it's the type of situation where, boy, I sure, I sure hope for your success. I mean, not uh, apart from just for you, but yes, this could, you know, if, if, if this could be a system that could be trusted uh, and, and yeah, build that trust and, as you say, integrity and confidence, uh, yeah, it, it really does open up uh, the possibilities that, that, that simply aren't there. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the questions um, is uh, that, that came up is, so a, a, a company that invests in this uh, circular economy, um, the, the question was raised whether the market mechanism is going to be good enough in itself or whether you think there's going to be uh, regulation needed to... Um, either kickstart or, or help expand it or to help ensure uh, that, that sense of integrity. Uh, where do you see uh, that sort of uh, dividing line or issue? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very good question and, and I, I see it as, if you if you can imagine, um, you know, when you look at the uh, the expected uh, academic results, for example, from universities or A levels, etc., it follows this kind of bell curve where most of the you, you expect most people to be in the middle, 
Um, you expect a few people to be on one side um, and a few really, really smart people to be right at the other side. Um, I, I see the same thing with regards to the different levers and mechanisms that are required to actually drive change throughout the whole industry. I think you get those companies who are always going to be leaders and they're always going to be early adopters. And for a lot of these companies, they will see benefits. They will see reputational benefits, which um, is very much also linked to the value of companies these days. But also they'll see more practical benefits, like if a product is better maintained, um, chances are it won't break down so much. So they will save time. They will save money. They will be able to recover products end of life and gain revenue. There'll be all of these different mechanisms that build up over time to, to provide a big collective benefit. But then there'll be those companies, to be honest, that uh, will resist change um, for as long as they can because it's comfortable. Um, and, you know, actually they... They're more led by risk than opportunity, and therefore their um, their first instinct is to stay put in their space and not really do much. And actually, incentives like legislation are going to be needed to push these companies. Unfortunately, I believe a lot of these companies will form the bulk of that bell curve. So with that in mind, I believe legislation is going to play a huge role. But that said... While I think things like extended producer responsibility, companies taking more responsibility for the waste products that they generate are going to drive things like potentially better designed products being used in the first place. And um, that may take a little bit more time. But I do think that even when this, this legislation kicks in and companies start to have to um, adjust and make changes to meet this legislation, those companies that did it willingly um, and did it because they thought it makes business sense will always have an advantage because it, it's a cultural it's a cultural adaptation rather than an adaptation to conform and I think that will always be a more sustainable um, a sustainable way forward so I think legislation will drive the masses um, but those companies that that have taken it up are probably seeing a range of benefits that will make them more competitive. Right, yes, uh, great. Uh, uh, yes, very helpful for, for, for someone like me uh, uh, who, who's not responsible for some business to see just the innate uh, benefits of going with this system. Um, uh, and, and wow, yes, I sure hope it spreads. Uh, and I guess that's a, a, a quick question. We're, we're sort of getting to the end uh, of our time here. Um, where are we, uh, you know, just in the most general sense, in terms of this circular economy and companies waking up and, and wanting to adopt things or looking for companies like loop cycle that they can hook into uh, for, for, for that type of thing. Where, where are we in this? Um, I'm going to be uh, uh, as optimistic as I usually am. Um, <laughs> I think we're, I think we're a long way off. I really do. I think that um, there are 
I think there is a lot of understanding that needs to happen before companies feel comfortable actually driving change themselves. You know, when when we look at even, you know, even off the top of my head, um, I've got climate change, I've got net zero carbon, I've got circular economy, I've got sustainability. Um, we've talked about recycling. We've we, I believe companies are, um, it's a challenge for many of them because they know they have to do something, but they need to actually understand A, what it means, and B, what it means to their business and their industry. And I think that there, there needs to be a process to which these companies really grapple with what it means and then actually look at tackling the problem and going back to that word at a systemic level rather than some rather than very small actions that that show they're doing something but really don't have a large impact and I think that takes change that takes change and it takes commitment now that commitment can be in terms of resources that are required internally to make that change it could be financial commitment to change something but it's a, it's a, it's it's that vicious circle is in a vicious cycle because that commitment won't be made until they understand what they're committing to so i believe that i believe there is a really long way to go um, and unfortunately we have to do it in a really short period of time but at, but in all things i believe that the companies that the companies that are making progress are the companies that just started somewhere, started somewhere and said, we're now committing to this process and we are going to learn and adapt and evolve as quickly as we can um, using the insight that we gain from the things that we're trying. Um, and they're setting bold ambitions that they may not necessarily know the way how to get there yet, but actually um, they're drawing their marker in the sand and saying, this is where we need to be. And then they're going to figure that out. And I think that there's not a lot of companies that are there yet, in my opinion. I think I think that there is um we we've woken up to it now, and I hope pace will accelerate. But I, I at the moment I still feel that there we, we're still a long way to go. Great. Well, I mean, as we are with just about any issue dealing with with climate change and 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 you know, these systemic issues, the, the economic and the political, oh, they're, they're so entrenched and so difficult to overcome. Uh, uh, I, I can't imagine any of that happens <laughs> quickly, um, uh, but uh, it, it's, it's just wonderful to see uh, someone like you and, and your company and your former insights and things like that um, are, are, are here, are working, uh, you know, tirelessly uh, to, to help uh, sort of expedite this, because <laughs> uh, uh, boy, yes, uh, we need that. Now, uh, before I close, I just uh, want to give the opportunity, if there's anything else you, uh, you, you felt uh, you'd, you'd like to share, um, uh, otherwise, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll bring this to a close. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Rod. Um, I think, uh, yeah, no, this has been really insightful for me. And, and um, one thing that I'm learning is that, you know, these, these challenges are, um, are very similar, regardless of where we are on the planet. And um, 
we are learning that we're now part of the uh, uh, called a global incubator program um, with an organization, a government organization uh, in the UK called Innovate UK. Um, and we are collaborating with uh, Mars and they are a research establishment, uh, innovation and technology establishment based in Toronto. So we're actively uh, working with um, cross uh, cross uh, cross uh, cross collaboration between uh, the UK and Canada to, to look at these opportunities and where we can support Canadian businesses as well. So really for me, it's uh, interested in having a dialogue and, and, and learning more about how Canada and North America are addressing these challenges to see what A, we can take back to the UK and B, where we can assist as well. So uh, it is an exciting time for our business and, um, and just thank you for, uh, for, for giving us a platform to also talk about uh, us and also for me to share my experiences as well. Well, I, 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 I really appreciate that. And that's <laughs> in another circle, this sort of, that sort of brings us full circle again. There's, <laughs> there's collaboration again you know, at this global level, which is so critical uh, to address these systemic issues. So um, to, to me, it, that, I mean, that, that's sounding wonderful. And uh, uh, I, yes, uh, for sure, wish you every, every success uh, in this, uh, 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 along with, um, uh, you know, what other uh, positive dynamics are, taking place. So um, <clears throat> I, uh, again, am so appreciative of, you, of your time because it's, uh, you know, this series has had a lot of um, uh, people in academics. Now, these are, have all been people, they aren't ivory tower academics, they, they, they've gotten their hands dirty, you know, they're, 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 they're very much in, involved in, in things. But, uh, we also need, you know, different perspectives, and this you you you've just to me uh, been so helpful in giving sort of an an industry voice uh, perspective to uh, this, which which I find, uh, you know, uh, that that's that's where sort of the quote rubber meets the road, and and is so critical for. Uh, uh, you know, to, to get a handle of where the opportunities are and, and where things currently are. So uh, I want to thank you again for taking uh, this uh, time, which I'm sure you're just crazy busy uh, when, you, when you're trying to, you know, create a whole new industry. My gosh, that's, uh, that, that's uh, quite an endeavor, but sure glad. Uh, way back in those university days, you made that decision. Um, uh, thank heavens for, for people like you. So uh, again, uh, Lugano, thank you very much for being part of this series. Um, and for the audience, um, again, he did give a, a session in our main series. You can go up to our web and uh, that session is archived and you can take a look at that. Um, all I know is that as this conversation was going, there were phrases and sentences that I just wanted to, to dig into, but couldn't. Um, so that session may help fill out some of that. But uh, again, it being a systemic issue, it, it is simply enormous. 
Um, and I'm so grateful for uh, people like you, Lugano, who are helping, uh, helping us move in the right direction. So again, uh, thanks very much and uh, wish you every success. Thank you, Rod. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. 